God, I thank you for this time and this opportunity to share your word with your people. I pray that you um, would speak through me um, and what you've prepared um, with me and that this would, be, this would bring confirmation and peace to our lives as, as your people as we exit this holiday season into a new year. Um, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done for us. In your name I pray, amen. Well, we're at the end of this Christmas season, this hectic Christmas season, and something that most, if not all of us, have done over at least once over the course of this Christmas season was order something online. And I can tell you on my behalf, I'm a little obsessed with confirmation emails. There's security that comes in hitting place order and receiving that confirmation email from whoever you're buying from that your package will be coming. For me, especially with big purchases, my anxiety peaks in that 30 seconds between placing order and receiving that confirmation email. I mean, have you ever placed an order and not received a confirmation email? It's like, did I just get scammed? Did someone just take my money? Like, what is going on? It's a problem for me, to be honest, that I need that confirmation email. It's one thing to believe I placed my order, but a different level of security comes when I receive a response or confirmation about my purchase. It gives me hope and assurance that the gift I purchased is, in fact, coming. And so today is about confirmation. We are in our final week of this Christmas series, The Things He Has Done. And a couple weeks ago, we heard from our guest speaker, Laurel Bunker, talk about Mary's best yes. How this 12 to 15-year-old girl chose to put her faith in God and what he was calling her to do, although it went against all logical decision-making. And so here is where we pick up this story, and I want to set the stage for us this morning. In this time, in the time of Jesus, uh, it was customary for those who followed Judaism to go to the temple for ceremonial purposes. And there's three mentioned in this passage. First, because uh, the, the mother of a to a newly born baby was considered ceremonially unclean for the first 40 days after a child was to be born. So purification would happen for the woman 40 days after the birth of the child, and you would give a sacrifice, likely a goat or, or a lamb, but if you were poor, you would give the sacrifice of two pigeons or two doves. And so this is what we see Mary and Joseph give, so this indicates that they likely didn't have a lot to their name that they didn't have a lot of money. And it actually says that this was their sacrifice, meaning Joseph would also have been considered unclean, likely because he was the one that gave birth, gave, helped give birth to baby Jesus in the stable. And so they enter the temple 40 days after to become clean. Second, we see that this is a presentation uh, of the child to God, that you would go to the, the, the temple to do this. And lastly, to dedicate the firstborn to the Lord's service. That Mary and Joseph still went to the temple to dedicate Jesus just as you would any other baby firstborn to the Lord's service. And what this tells us about Mary and Joseph is that they sought themselves to honor God that they themselves pursued righteousness and they were not just going to ride on the coattails of who uh, was claimed their son to be. 
And they were not going to cut corners, but instead trusted God and his commands. And so now we are almost a year removed from Mary um, saying her best yes. We are nine months, so she received word from an angel that she was going to give birth to a son. So we're nine months later, plus 40 days, almost one year removed um, from her interaction with the angel. And now I want you to imagine a likely 18 to 20-year-old Joseph and a 14 to 16-year-old Mary entering the temple in Jerusalem, the city of peace. Jerusalem stands for the city of peace to dedicate the prince of peace. But do you think Mary and Joseph were experiencing peace in this moment? It had been, like I said, over 300 days since they had directly heard from one of God's messengers who their son was to be. Nine months of sitting and waiting for Jesus to be born, 40 more days before entering the temple for the first time since his birth. I mean, even if an angel of the Lord had come to you, what do you think 14-year-old you would be feeling in this moment? To take care of a child and go, do, go to the temple and do these ceremonial practices what would you be feeling in that moment? I know myself, what I would describe, um, what I would be feeling, could not be considered something that of peace. And so these, these two people are walking into a temple, the temple where I believe God was already at work for their sake to confirm something for them. So we pick up this story in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25. I want to read this passage to you. It says now, this is where we pick up the story. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you, have now dis you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Then there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then a widow until she was 84. She had never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at this very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Two people completely unrelated to Mary and Joseph and their story up until this point, no family connection or, or any other possible connection, interacted with them. And what did they do for Mary and Joseph? They confirm the miracle. Really, in this moment, for no one else's sake other than Mary and Joseph, that this child was, in fact, the Son of God, the Savior of all people. God sent the first confirmation email. Through Simeon and Anna, God was saying to Mary and Joseph, I'm still here. 
what I told you about this child is in fact true. These two people weren't old kooks walking around in the temple either. I mean, Luke describes Simeon as righteous and devout. These are two words used in the Old Testament to describe people like Job and Abraham. Simeon was someone who, had been, who would have been well-respected in the temple courts. It says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon was given special insight by the Spirit so that he would recognize Christ. He was told also by the Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah or Comforter of Israel. Likely in his old age, he could have been very well waiting for a long time to see this, which is why Luke describes him as righteous and devout. And then it picks up and says, led by the Spirit. He was called to enter the temple at the very moment that Mary and Joseph had traveled and would be there. And it talked about Anna, the prophetess, who was in her old age, worshipped night and day. These two God-fearing God-pursuing, Messiah-waiting, faithful people confirmed for Mary and Joseph who Jesus was. What a feeling Mary and Joseph must have felt in that moment. It says that they marveled and were amazed at what had happened. You see, confirmation brings peace. It brings assurance. And in faith, if we're honest, that is something that is extremely important. And so today, a few days removed from Christmas Day. Today is about confirmation. Confirmation that what we celebrate on Christmas is true, that the gift of this season is God's Son, Jesus being born, and the profound truth that He is, in fact, our Savior. Confirmation matters, right? Like certainty in things matters. Uncertainty is what causes stress. Like when watching sports, when you watch a sport, when you watch a game on the television, your heart rate can increase by 110% by just watching the game, not playing the game, but by watching. And whether the kick goes wide left or wide right like it does here so often in Minnesota, regardless of what the outcome of the game is, when the final buzzer goes off, our bodies begin to regulate because the outcome of the game has, is definitive. It has been confirmed who has won. There is no changing it. There's no going back. The game is finished. And so today, a couple days removed from Christmas, today is about confirmation. And like in the story of Simeon, confirmation comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that revealed to him that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. It was the Holy Spirit that moved in him and led him to go to the temple court at the moment in which Mary and Joseph would be there. It was the Holy Spirit that orchestrated all that must happen at the exact time Mary and Joseph were entering the temple so that God could confirm through Simeon his work in their lives. And the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives today also brings confirmation. So following what can be a hectic Christmas season, I just want to slow down and read God's word together. I want to share three ways in which God uses the Holy Spirit as a tool of confirmation in our lives today because confirmation brings peace. So the first point I want to make is that the Holy Spirit 
being present in our hearts today confirms the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In John chapter 7, starting in verse 39, or starting in verse 37, it says, Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were, were later to receive. Up till that time, the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit would not be given to the body of Christ until the anointed one had come, died, and rose again and ascended into heaven. John says right here that we will not receive the spirit until Jesus has been glorified. In other words, once God has sent his son, the chosen lamb that would be slain on our behalf, it's then that we would receive the Holy Spirit. And so after this, we jump to the book of Acts, which was also written by Luke. Starting in chapter 1, verse 3, it says, After his suffering, talking about Jesus, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared and gave many he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, he was eating with them and gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And jumping down in, into verse nine, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Just as Jesus said it would happen, once he became glorified, then we would receive the Holy Spirit. The simple fact that we have the Holy Spirit today confirms that the baby we celebrate on Christmas is in fact our Savior, God's Son, and that he accomplished what he came to this earth to do. And because, of, because this has taken place, we now have the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the Holy Spirit in your life confirms that you have in fact received salvation. One of the greatest questions asked by Christians still today is, how do I know I'm saved? At different points in life or in and for different reasons, many of us struggle with knowing and believing we have in fact received the, the, the eternal, or the gift of eternal life. I've had moments where I'm like, man, is this real? Have I truly accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior? First John, in, in the book of First John, we, we hear um, confirmation about this. In First John 4, starting in verse 12, or in verse 13, it says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Scripture says that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we know that we have received salvation because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In 2 Corinthians, 
chapter 1, starting in verse 20, it says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, who we celebrate on Christmas. And so through him, the amen, which means to confirm, is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The Holy Spirit is the deposit that guarantees the gift of eternal life that has been given to you. And so when the Holy Spirit works in your life, whether it's nudging you to pray for someone or to go talk to that person about your faith at Coburn's or to, or to pay for that person's gas at the pump or to lead in church or even in conviction when you feel the need to repent of sin, let those moments of the Holy Spirit working in your life confirm that you have in that fact received eternal life simply because the Holy Spirit is working in you. And eternal life is something that cannot be taken away. It's something that cannot be revoked. He gave you the Holy Spirit as confirmation to the promise he has given you. Salvation is what you have received. And so now these first two points refer to the big picture. The simple fact that the Holy Spirit confirms who Jesus was and that we have, in fact, received salvation. But you may be asking, but what about today, Brody? Just like Mary and Joseph likely needed some confirmation when they entered the temple, I need some confirmation from God about the situation that I find myself in right now. Whether or not to take the job whether or not to continue playing this sport or to quit a sport, whether or not to continue in this relationship with, with my boyfriend or girlfriend, whether or not to move or to stay planted where you have planted us, I need confirmation from God in this situation I find myself in right now. The third point I want to make this morning is that the Holy Spirit confirms God's presence and work in our lives today. The Holy Spirit is referred to as our advocate, our comforter. And in Greek, this word means one who is called to one side. There are three ways that I think he walks with us in our lives today. First, he walks a lot alongside us when we need direction. I experienced this last year. Around this time, uh, for those of you who don't know the story of how we went on our missions trip, uh, every year we, in, in years past, we would go to Bozeman, Montana for our, for our high school missions trip. And so around this time, I would call uh, Lions Ridge in Bozeman where we stay every year and confirm, okay, we're good to go. These are the dates that are set. I'm going to start booking things and planning this trip. And I called around this time last year, and they said, no, we can't take you. We've actually closed down because of COVID, you're going to need to find a new place um, to have your missions trip. And so half a, I only have a half a year to plan a missions trip where we're going to take students away for a week and do the work of God. And so I began networking and talking to people, and I, I got connected with Luke McLean, who goes here and leads YWAM Minneapolis. And we had coffee, and he talked to me about this side ministry that YWAM does called Mission Adventures, where they do short-term mission trips for high school students. 
and it was clear that this is what we were supposed to do, but there are, air, there are bases all over the country where we could have gone. And so I sat and prayed and sought, God, where do you want to take us this year? And it was clear. We were supposed to go to Salem, Oregon. And something about our mission trips in years past, all the serving we did was physical, whether it was serving in a uh, food shelf or picking weeds or helping someone move. But this trip was going to be entirely evangelistic, entirely sharing the good news of people with, with, with the good news of with people on the streets of Salem, Oregon, something our students had never done before. And out of this trip, where God confirmed to me that we were called to go to Salem, we now have a student serving in the Middle East. Because of that trip, he felt called on that mission trip in Salem, Oregon, to go into YWAM's program and now is serving in the Middle East. He walks alongside us when we need direction. Secondly, he walks alongside us as we read, interpret, and understand God's word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 9, it says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. To receive spiritual wisdom to earthly circumstances, we must turn to God's word. It's God's words to us. It's how he communicates to us. And the Holy Spirit is who helps us interpret and understand what God is trying to communicate to us through his word. Thirdly, God uses others to move in our lives, like he used Simeon to confirm something in the lives of Mary and Joseph. The band can begin to make their way up. 20, 2021 is a year that, like for many, for most of us, is a year that I will never forget. This year, I found myself in one of those situations where I was struggling trusting God and just struggling how, how I was going to, struggling to see how everything was going to shake out. Despite always having a sense that God was going to provide, I was struggling with believing it. The weight of debt, financial debt, is real. And, uh, and like most students that, that graduate from college nowadays, I had accrued a large amount of debt. And my money was, was being stretched really thin uh, this year due to different things and uh, we're now coming up to a time where, where student loans are going to be needing to, those payments are going to start needing to come out um, of our bank accounts again now that we're kind of through this COVID season and people are working. And I was struggling to see how am I going to make this all work, but there was always this sense of peace that God was going to provide. I didn't know how, but I had this peace. It was, it was hard to believe, but I had this peace. And this fall... Someone approached me and they said, Brody, the Holy Spirit's been working in us and 
we feel like we're called to take on your debt. We don't want you to deal with this debt any longer. In this moment, I, I wept, man. I, I broke down. Because God had confirmed something in my life that he was saying, and it was hard to see, but in this moment became clear. And so we met a couple weeks later. I transferred over my, my online information where all my student loans were. And a couple weeks later, I received the greatest confirmation email I have ever received. I received an email that said, Brody Agerberg, the amount you owe Discover Student Loans is zero. Through the work of the Holy Spirit in someone else's life, God confirmed something that he had been speaking into my life, that it's going to be okay. I'm going to provide. I'm taking care of you. God doesn't want us guessing or wondering if he's there or wondering if he's going to provide. And the Holy Spirit confirms that that is in fact true. Following this Christmas season today is about confirmation. Confirmation that the baby we celebrate on Christmas came to accomplish what he was sent to do. And as a result, we now have the Holy Spirit that lives in us. The spirit that rested upon Simeon now lives in us and who walks alongside us in this life and comforts us as we walk in our relationship with him. I pray that today you experience that confirmation, that peace that God wants you to experience. Because of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, you can know that what Jesus came to do, that his life, death, and resurrection really did happen. That if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, because the Holy Spirit lives in you, you have in fact received that gift. And that the Holy Spirit can use others in your life to confirm things in your own life. So where is God confirming something? My invitation to you today is to look and see where is God walking alongside you? Where is the Holy Spirit working to, to confirm in you that God is with you and walking alongside you? My prayer is that God would reveal these things to you today through the work of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's worship.